Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bonneau, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So today my guest is Aaron Hall. He's the group director and naming expert at Siegel and Gale, one of the top brand strategy and design companies globally. Hello and thank you for joining us, Aaron. It's a pleasure. Hello, thanks for having me. Let's start with a bit of a background. Give me a bit of an idea and our listeners about who you are and how did you get into naming? Yeah, you know, I moved to the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco Bay Area in the last year or so of the dot-com boom. So I worked at a kind of some dot-com-esque marketing companies uh, for, for about a year and a half. And then everything fell apart. <laughs> all the all the tech companies and all the marketing agencies kind of went away. Um, about a year later, I stumbled on a job uh, posting on Craigslist for a naming job at a mar- as a marketing role at a naming job. And I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded interesting. Uh, I knew I got to play with words. That's all I knew. And I had always enjoyed writing and, and languages. So I applied, I got the job, and that was 22 years ago. So I have been naming things ever since. Wow. I yeah. love that. And you're uh, not my first guest that uh, works in naming, but I find it fascinating that uh, oftentimes the, the story is like that at the beginning it's like so i you know i didn't even know what it is but i got into it (laughs) the number one response i get when someone says what do you do for a living and i say i name i come up with names for companies and products they it has to be 80 percent of the responses are is first that's so cool and second i didn't know that was a real job yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think now they're up even i saw there was recent well recently i don't know Let's say recently there was a um, post that went viral about some teenage girl. I think she she was making like a fortune naming babies. Oh. Like, yeah. So I think, it, well, it's it's in a way it's very interesting that, yeah, people still go, is that a job? And then like you look around, everything has a name. So I've written a few yeah. blog posts over my time on how you could take some of what I do, uh, the processes and the the do's and don'ts for, for for product and company naming and how you might apply that to baby naming. And one of them was very popular because I think the, the <laughs> popular piece of advice was don't tell people your baby name until the baby is born. You know, you might mm. tell them the ones you're considering, but inevitably, and I've seen this happen firsthand, you say, oh, we're considering this name and, and this is the name and people will react badly. They just are natural mm. inclination when it comes to naming, whether it's naming a baby, naming a company. Uh, if you tell the person, oh, we're thinking of naming it this, our, our brains just go to this critical, why isn't that a good name place? Um, mm. So that's the the advice I gave for naming babies is Keep it, keep it close to the chest until if you introduce the baby as, oh, here's beautiful Elizabeth. Everyone will say, mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm, such mm-hmm. a cute Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> but if you say that before, you might get something like, oh, isn't that like the queen's name? Isn't that an old person's name? You know, like it's just the, the, the mm-hmm. negative reactions will come if you do it that way. Mm. What about, yeah, company naming? Is that similar? What what sort of a do's and don'ts do you yeah, have? Yeah, so I think... 
the company naming is just probably one of the hardest types of naming to do of all the things I can name in my in my job. And I think uh, partly it's that you have to, with all co corporate naming, you have to find a trait, something that is available as a trademark. But with company naming, it's particularly uh, challenging because there's so much wrapped up, so much identity wrapped up in a company name. So the CEO or founder, you know, this is their baby. This is, you know, what you name it. It, it reflects on them. It's part of their identity as well. Not to mention if you're renaming a company, that name is going to be the identity for employees. It's going to be a rallying cry. It's going to be something that, you know, you introduce yourself at a mixer or even just a, you know, personal event. Oh, my name's Aaron. I work at Siegel and Gale. That becomes part mm -hmm. of who I am and part of my identity. So I think company naming in particular has, is the one where we put a lot more effort and time into try and bring people along psychologically. Um, mm -hmm. with, with the name ideas and the name options. And, and I think it takes a little longer typically at the end to pick the right final name. Um, with product naming, it's I, I just, by and large, it tends to be a little more uh, quicker at the end to for people to pick between a few finalist names. And I think company naming people think a lot longer and harder and maybe sometimes mm. have more stress and anxiety about which one to pick. What is the process like when when people come up to you for a name sure yeah it's a tradition pretty traditional uh creative or consulting process kick off two rounds of creative and and two presentations but but i think where naming starts to get a little different is um <clears throat> in that kickoff at least the way we do it we try and not ask traditional consulting questions like what themes do you want the name to say? What do you not want it to say, um, et cetera? We, we try and use exercises um, mm. that at what people's hopes and wants are. So if you were explaining this to, you know, this new company or this new product to your grandma or an older mm. relative, how would you explain it in very easy to understand terms, right? And when we get at questions and exercises like that, we start to see what's different or unique about it without the jargon and the lingo and the you know vocabulary mm. we use in the business world. So we really try and use that kickoff. And if it's company name, we really need that CEO or founder to be there because their input is so important. Um, and so that's that's the kickoff. That also I tend to see names as. Um, there's this this long uh, discussion about whether names are strategically creative or creatively strategic. I very mm. much believe name is naming is more like an art form. Um, of course, it takes inputs into account. But if you try and limit an artist, if you commissioned an artist and said, hey, only use the colors blue and green and shapes that are square, mm. you're going to get exactly what you told them. But if you say, paint me something that fits the vibe of my house right? Mm. And you have them walk through your house and see what you're, you're like, you might get something really unique and special uh, and, and creative. Uh, and so that's what we try. That's how I see names is I want to get a sense for you and the company and what you do or your services. And then, you know, the, the world is our oyster. We don't know where the naming is going to take us until our fingertip, your fingertips hit the keys. And we start exploring and, and we have all sorts of processes um, to go explore different creative ideas to really think outside the box. Um, mm. So we will come up with hundreds and hundreds of names that first round of creative that explore every single possible thing we heard and some things we didn't in that kickoff. 
Then we narrow that to about 100, 150, and we do a preliminary trademark screen, right? So we make That's sure- a lot of names. It's a lot of names. It's a very cursory screen. So it's not, it's not going to tell you the name is available, but it will tell us which names aren't available, right? Very clearly, mm -hmm. you cannot use these. Don't show these to the client. Why would you do that, right? They're not going to be able to have. <laughs> so that usually ends up with about 30 or so that we can take back and say, here's a few that do this. Here's a few that are made up. Here's a few that, you know, start with this letter you liked. Here's a few around this theme. And inevitably, there's three, four or five that a client tends to like. And there's some new ideas that pop up for them in that meeting. Oh, well, now that you showed us what speed was, we don't like the speed theme. But what we do like is acceleration, right? Or, mm -hmm. or we like innovation instead. And so new themes will pop up. And so we do a second round, a little more focused, a little smaller. Um, and we do the same process, create a bunch of names, pre-screen some and show another round. That usually gets us to a list of 10 at the end. Um, that we can do different types of vetting. So whether it's quantitative research, uh, linguistic screening, and then their full their team does a full legal search on those 10. And at mm -hmm. the very end, if we do all of those, usually there are three or so that look pretty solid. Um, their audience likes and understands the, the trademark counsel, the trademark lawyer says these look, look like you could have them, uh, et cetera. So that's, and then the final choice, it really depends. Sometimes the clients include us on that and like our counsel, sometimes it's very personal and they just want to make that choice at the end. But, you know, that's about a six week process, um, six to seven weeks with that legal and the rest at the end as well. Mm. I have so many questions now. Sure. One is <laughs> because at the beginning you mentioned that um, you really need like the CEO, the founders, even the team involved in the process. Um, how does that, how do you, be, and it's also a very creative process on, on your side. Um, how does it work? Because from for example, from my experience with before I got into domain names, I was in IT building software websites. Um, and there was that huge issue that I still now have with domain names where there is a mismatch between what the founder and sometimes even like so depending on the size of the company, members of their team or different departments, what they feel is the right choice and what their audience is actually needs or mm -hmm. wants. Yeah. How does that work with, with naming? Well, there's a couple of pieces there to that, a couple of ways to answer that. So the first is um, with company names, the reason why we want to include that CEO or founder so early on is um, we want to have them feel like they have told us from their mouth to our ears what they hope the company name or the company to accomplish, what they want it to be, mm -hmm. right? So that when they see names later, they go, Right. Those things I said are reflected in these words I'm seeing. I could show the same set of names to a CEO who, but not have them participate in that kickoff. And their reaction will be, well, they didn't hear what I wanted this to be. So they may not mm. like the names. So that's one. That's part of the psychology. To the second part of your question, <laughs> what happens when the CEO feels very strongly and maybe we, their, their, their team or some research says that the audiences don't? Um, mm. mostly what we find is the team in, in those cases, the team tends to think, well, our audience, our customers want this other thing and he wants, or they, she wants this, this other theme. We have a great quantitative research study, um, that was built by 
by branders, by branding researchers here at Siegel and Gale to go uh, do research on those finalist names with your exact audience. Um, it's I won't get super deep into it, but it uses monadic testing. And in 22 years, I've seen some terrible naming research until I got here where this actually tells us which names say the things and communicate the, the emotions and the personalities and the, the attributes we care most about. We want the name to signal. And it tells us which names do it best, which names do it so-so, and which names mm. do it at all. And so when we bring that kind of research to a CEO and say, we know your favorite name was this one, but look, it's in the bottom rung. No one gets it. Um, mm -hmm. and in fact, it may have some challenges. Like people might not think it is innovative or quick or whatever that is, that thing they wanted to say. Whereas these other three names that you, you were so-so on, your audiences will really resonate with. So that mm. research tends to help bring them along. You know, there's been probably 25, 30% of the time where a CEO will still pick a name in the middle tier of that research because it's it still does some good things. And it's just, it's just the one they have a lot of heart for. And that's okay mm. because you can support it because naming isn't the, the brand. There are brand elements that you can bring along. Maybe mm. you need to take a name and give it more speed through the visual identity. Maybe you need to uh, tell a warmer tone or a human tone through the brand story. So there are things you can do to support a name that isn't exactly everything you needed it to be. Um, mm. So we see that happen too, but it's pretty rare once someone's engaged a naming company uh, that the CEO just vetoes it all. It's happened mm -hmm. once or twice in my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that I have some examples myself with that but <laughs> i think we all we all have those we all have yeah those. so who is your typical client like who could reach out to you and is it no that's going to be another question let's just stick to that <laughs> yeah i mean i think uh typically at, at our company we have um marketing folks of any level um often vps or cmos will engage us from bigger companies at smaller companies and medium-sized companies it can be just you know um any person on the brand or marketing team some often a, a founder or a ceo um we tend to not do a ton of work with startups lately uh, but in my past i've done so much startup work i couldn't even keep up with it and that's almost always a founder or a, a ceo who reaches out um, the one thing, like I said, is when we get into those bigger companies and if we're doing a company name, it, it becomes almost a prerequisite of mine <laughs> that we get to talk to the CEO. Um, mm -hmm. but as for industry, we, I've, we at Siegel and Gale and I have named almost, I think almost every industry, um, whether it's descriptive naming, really straightforward naming, creative naming, energy, healthcare, finance, tech, B2B tech, uh, I, I could go on and on, you know, uh, you name it, we've probably done some naming in it. Are there any specific do's and don'ts that apply to different industries or even like locations? Or is there some something like that when it comes to naming? Yeah, with do's and don'ts, um, there are a couple of things with, with with regard to industries. So I think you want to be cautious to not to name to a fad, a naming fad or trend in that industry, um, mm. because it will probably not help you differentiate. And also those trends tend to go away. Um, there are a few notable exceptions. Cloud, 
about 10 years ago, everyone thought it would be a trend. No one wanted to use it because they thought, well, it'll just be gone. And here we are. Mm. It is still the dominant term for that industry. But by and large, you want to avoid things like, you know, the lowercase e in front of names. And that was such a fad that, you know, mm-hmm. they also date you. Those fads, if you use them in your company name, make your company from a certain time. So if mm-hmm. you named it in 2005, you will sound like a 2005 company if you use that trend. Um, there are also things that we want to often make sure people do, which is make sure people can pronounce it and it doesn't have negative connotations. This is especially true if you're going to be a global company. And we mm-hmm. also have a, a linguistic screening uh, uh, sort of test that we can do alongside that quantitative study I was talking about that can go reach any language across the globe and ask real people in those countries, you know, how easy is this to pronounce? Does it mm-hmm. make you think anything native? Are there any brands that this might be related to in your own, in your in your country or your language? And that really is that disaster check to make sure you don't launch a name and find out, oops, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it means it's like a, a sacred religious thing or something in this country that you just kind of made a faux pas. Mm. But I think the do's and don'ts by industry really gets pretty specific. Um, but the, the the largest one is just kind of avoid those trends that you see a lot of your competitors, especially uh, smaller startups tending to do because Mm. Will those will pass and then you'll be stuck with a name that is kind of out of date. Mm, absolutely. I do say that often um, when when I speak to entrepreneurs uh, when it comes to, to naming and I did as well with uh, websites and software that I, I feel like people sometimes when they're starting a business, they don't dare thinking too much ahead, but you have to. Like, yeah. And I, I feel naming is very, very much or should be at least influenced by that because you see so many people boxing themselves, like you say, either to a certain, um, you know, timeline. So they're like always going to be, you know, obviously in that time or even like adding words that make them stuck in an industry or in some geographical location thinking. I mean, you never know. You might not even plan for, you know, expanding in whatever service or product or geographical area, but it it may happen and and, and it's so much harder to rebrand the bigger you get. I think you make some great points about starting a company, naming a company as you start it. That's a very different task than naming, renaming a big company or naming Mm. a product that's from a company that exists. And and there are some some do's and don'ts there that are a little different. So one thing I say is if you're in the early stages, it's you and a business partner, my advice typically, and I get asked by a lot of friends who are starting up something here in the Bay Area, have, <laughs> have been asked over the years. I often say, just pick a code name for now and, and build out what this is going to be. Determine what you're going to offer, how it's going to be different, who your competitors are going to be first. Um, and then once you have some uh, there there, <laughs> then look into creative uh, naming for it. Um, and, and that is in part so that, to your point, um, when you first have the idea, it's about usually a service, a product. And if you name that service or product, and I've been asked to rename so many companies who <laughs> named their company after a service or a product, two years later, they have three products. What mm. do we, how do we name, what do we name the company we need to rename so that this product name can stay as it is? So that, I think you make a great point. Like don't box yourself in. One of the greatest examples of this, I think, is... Amazon as a name, mm. you know, they started out as a bookseller. Had they been books.com or books, Inc, right. Bookstore.com. Mm. 
could they be what they are today without rebranding? Absolutely not. Right. Mm. And so I think who, who, however that name came into being, and there's a lot of different folklore around that. Um, it was such a great name because when you think about the Amazon, it's this place of rich diversity of life and, and bioculture things move quick, the, the river itself moves quickly. So it gives you that meta metaphor mm. of speed to get your products. Uh, I'm not sure that was all what they planned, but it certainly was a great metaphor that did not box them in and has let them mm. expand in any direction they want over time. So that's another thing. Uh, and then, then finally for, uh, for, for startup founders, one thing I often help, have to help clarify, and this is related to the work you do is, your .com, if you can get the .com, doesn't mean you can own the name, right? So mm -hmm. there, the first thing you have to do is if you've found your name or found a name you like, and it looks like there's a .com available, go check that you can own the trademark first, right? And that mm -hmm. there, someone may own a trademark, but they may not have the .com, and they still have legal rights to that that word in your in your space if they if they've owned it. So I think um, a lot of folks think that the .com means ownership of the brand of the, of the trademark. And so the, they're just, they're two very related things. Um, so we just want to make sure people do both <laughs> instead of just <laughs> the .com. Um, because I think we were chatting about how you could theoretically go spend some money on a .com and then find out later, oh, wow, I forgot to trademark and now I can't even use this word, right? So mm. um, that's the other the piece of advice I give new new company founders. We just, you just mentioned you get a lot of people asking you about how to name a product or a service of a new company. What stage, at what stage should someone come to you or somebody like you for advice on naming? Like we, we just said it's, if, if they're just starting out, it's better if they define a bit more their, their product, their service and get some traction. When is it best to, to come and ask for advice on that? Yeah, I think once you have um, sort of a business plan and also a roadmap for the future, three, mm. five, you know, you've done some some really big blue sky thinking about if, if you're successful, what could this be one day? Um, and and you probably have a few people working for you under, you know, new name dot LLC, just a, a code name dot LLC, whatever it is. Um, so that there's there's real work going on. You've you've built some movement toward the product, and then uh, I think then it's the, a good time to start exploring what name ideas can be. Because I've done it before that. I have helped friends before that. Before they have all that, they just have the idea. And what happens is, I'll serve them up some great name ideas. But what are we comparing them to? It's hard for them to latch on to any of those as great names because in their head. All they're comparing it to is their passion for this idea, not mm. what the idea will become. How will it play out? Who does it need to reach? Who's the potential audience? What you know? How could it uh, evolve one day? Once you have those ideas that you can then put these names up against, those become your criteria. Um, mm -hmm. So that's 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 the kind of difference is that you have some real um, business plan and some. Um, some future thinking about and some actual real product or service development to be able to then compare these names against. And I say that's the time to kind of start to reach out to a, a naming mm. branding company. Mm. Yeah. So in, in a way, I feel it's similar to to um, premium domain names where the, there's 
a stage at which there are exceptions. I feel the exception and very likely, correct me if I'm wrong, that could be in your case as well, where you have like third, fourth, fifth time founders who are starting the thing, but they like, they know very clearly where they're going with it, what they're doing. That's a bit of a different story. But for first time founders, I feel, yeah, I mean, you have to have some real life experience for 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 that company to even have some substance that you can use to create that name and then in in my case to justify the investment in that premium domain name right the challenge right is (laughs) and i've experienced this with friends they're they're so their their energy and passion and excitement Mm. around this new idea is palpable Right. They, they, they need to call it something. They want to tell their friends about it. And so that that name becomes almost the most important part for them when I mean, just having done this long enough and helped a few do it more the right direction, helping them determine what the brand could be, where they want the brand to go, which includes who it's for, what its story could be, where it could evolve, what other things they might offer one day. When you start to figure that all that out, the name comes second or third but it's also a much more uh, a much richer experience for them Mm. Um, yeah that's just been my experience is trying to push people to wait a little even though their energy is so uh, (laughs) uh, frenetic right and then they just want to do the thing and have the thing have a name and tell their tell the world about it it's like okay press pause build out your thing a little bit more, give it a cool code name that you know you can't have, you know, um, but then approach the branding and the naming once you've, you've got a little bit more to say. Mm, that's a great advice. Um, what about domain names? Um, I, I can't not ask that question. <laughs> what, where we, we, we did sort of outline the process of, of how you come up with a name. Is the domain name a consideration? And if so, at which point? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. We've seen a lot of shift in the last probably decade around domain names. Sure, everyone still needs a domain name. <laughs> Most people still want a .com. <laughs> but I don't think we're ever going to away from that being the premium real estate, right? Um, but we've seen a couple things. So uh, if you rule, if if you say you can only, you will only choose a name if it has the exact name plus .com, you have limited your world of name options to a very, very small set. Now, that's okay. You can do that if you have some money to spend on getting those that are probably already registered. But a few areas we've seen um, diverge is people are willing to add an industry term. So new name health.com, new name uh, bank.com, right? We've seen that. So one of the things I was saying also is it really does depend if the the client or the co- the company does some e-commerce on the site. I do believe if you're going to do e-commerce, uh, you, you probably do need that .com, that exact .com. Adding a word gets a little tricky. Um, we've done it uh, just because the great they have a great name and we find a great name and we have to add a word. But usually for something that's going to do e-commerce directly with customers, we do recommend that exact .com. With other clients in other industries, so a B2B tech company, uh, you know, a B2B healthcare company that doesn't even, you know, it's not a, a customer, a patient-based cl- client, things like that. We do often start to add those industry modifier words to help them get that domain. Um, and then I think one of the things we've started to see is a slight bit more 
openness to those new TLDs. Um, <clears throat> it's definitely something that I'm developing an opinion about still as I see it evolve. I think it's right for some clients and customers who have a certain kind of audience who understand that dot app or dot fun or dot kitchen, <laughs> those are all potential <laughs> TLDs. I don't think we're there yet where it's going to be a, a real, it's going to take over 50% of the, the domain business. I think it's growing and it's evolving and people becoming more aware of it. But dot com is still the it's still the thing we get asked the most about. Mm. I, I do feel it's very much like earlier we were talking about the naming um, process and and you mentioned uh, when choosing a name, there's so many things that you need to take into consideration. You know, the, there's the uh, brand story, the owner, the team, the audience, all the research that you have. And so ultimately, when you end up with that, you know, short list of five, 10, whatever names there is to choose, all of them have uh, you know, ups and downs, and um, you you said you said it better than I'm gonna say it now. But it was in a way you're gonna have to, in any cases, support that name with all the other um, marketing that you do, and and it's just part of that brand. So I feel it's very much uh, the same. You can say applies to the domain name. So obviously, yeah, if you have the budget and you get the exact brand match dot com, that's you know, probably the best option, but in other cases, and there are other considerations, you mentioned different audiences, different um, um, budgets, you know, target markets, etc. You can have different names that you're going to build up in, in different ways with different elements of your branding. Yeah, you know, and, and we actually did a very interesting. So we had a client who needed a dot com, wanted a dot com, exact word dot com. And we also did that quantitative research, their legal team did their deep dive, and we did linguistic screening. So we created a really interesting chart for them that showed their 10 finalist names, uh, how they did in the quantitative research, you know, whether they were top tier, mid tier, or low tier, how the linguistic screening went. So there was only one that was just unpronounceable in some other key markets. The other nine looked mostly fine. And then what was the domain status? Several had dot coms that could be purchased two were actually, because we were looking at Latin-based coin new words, uh, two had domains they could just buy or register that, you know, as that day if they wanted. And a few of their favorites actually uh, ended up having names that they would have to add like finance to or something like that. Mm -hmm. right? um, and so we just created it and, it and it was a nice way for them to see that if they wanted to go with their favorite name, it was a mid-tier in the quantitative, fine in linguistics, legal said it was good but they would have to add a modifier to it versus mm -hmm. a name that was, you know, there was actually one that was in the top tier that had all the great things. And so that was the one they went with, but there were some, there was a mid tier name that was literally best on everything. Right. Mm. Except originally uh, they had kind of been iffy on it and it just like the, the, the customers were like, yeah, it's good. Like they get it. It's certainly above the line. And so that definitely was in consideration at the very end because it could have the com. linguistics was great. Uh, and quantitatively and legal was great and quantitatively it was like good. And so I think that domain name certainly uh, made it interesting to them that they could have it. So it's just a, it's another consideration. Again, mm -hmm. they didn't do uh, e-commerce on their site, uh, but it was just very important to the CEO that, that they have that.com. Mm. So we mentioned like, different TLDs becoming more popular and fitting for different industries. 
in the past, let's say, 10 years. What other trends have you noticed mm. in namings? What What do you find is interesting? Like the obvious um, yeah. artificial intelligence and, and what else is impacting that? Well, I am writing my POV on AI naming. So there's a bunch of pieces out there right now about how to use AI in the creative process. I have plenty of thoughts on that. It's not very good at naming, by the way. It's actually pretty terrible. But <laughs> you can use it to expand your theme, your themes you're exploring. You can use it to expand your exploration. But I'm actually starting to write a POV on when and how should you name your AI technology, your AI company, your AI bot, whatever it is. Um, much like we already talked about, I think there's a time at which and a, mm. a feature level at which you should start to brand it and a feature level at which below the line, you should just say parent company name plus AI. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to brand something that's not truly differentiating. So AI, I think we're going to see an explosion just right here in San Francisco of AI technology in the next year. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm working on putting the sort of some thoughts together about some advice to people who are starting an AI technology startup or a, uh, an AI project within a bigger company of how to name and brand that and when. Um, another one we've seen and we expect to see a lot of in the coming year, we've seen a lot of is mergers and acquisitions. Mm. Uh, we just did a research study, <clears throat> uh, a data mining study really on all the M&A in, I think it's four industries um, from for over a three or four year period. And we had a hypothesis that we would see because we had hired to help name those mergers often or those acquisitions. So we thought we'd see, uh, we were looking at specifically whether there was a name change or a visual identity change um, or none. And we mm. thought it was a pretty high number. And we were surprised to see it not at all. Oh. It's like in the five and six percent at best in one of the industries really? of name change or brand change. Um, and so we have some thoughts on that. We we uh we're working on, I think we posted two of the four pieces. Um, but I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. Um, and it's interesting to know that in fact, a name or brand change, uh, or name or visual identity change is pretty uncommon as far as M&A goes. And then I think the one we're going to just continue to hear more about, it started my very first job in this, in San Francisco was working at a youth marketing company who had kind of formed up around the idea that Gen Y, now millennials, just reacted and responded to marketing and advertising differently. So you had to build mm. things, engage them that weren't just like fluff pieces that disappeared because they would just not think about them. So millennials started this trend of, oh, there's this group that reacts to all marketing differently. Um, now Gen Z, I think soon to be Gen Alpha. So we did a study, uh, a naming study about a few years ago uh, called Naming for Generations, where we looked at whether Gen Z, millennials, Gen Xers, of which I'm a part, and boomers, if they reacted to different kinds of names for a couple of different kinds mm -hmm. of products that we created um, differently. Did some like edgy names, did some like more straightforward names, et cetera. And while we weren't, I mean, one of our hypotheses was that the younger generations would like the hipper, cooler, edgier names. And that bore out to be true. And older generations tend to like things that just say what it is, help them engage. But those edgy creative names we had for a few of our product ideas that we put out there were the most popular with Gen Z, but also the least popular. So it's almost like if you're going to go into an edgy, hip, cool, creative name, you better get it right. Because if you miss the mm. mark, you don't understand them and put out a name that you think is cool and edgy as a you know Gen Xer, and some Gen Z person goes, 
hey, old man, you don't understand me, right? <laughs> it will bomb. And so that was one of the more interesting findings. So I think we're going to see more and more of that as Gen Z becomes a more, a, a, even a bigger um, market share, you know, spender. And then as Gen Alpha approaches, I think there'll be a, a whole new uh, sort of generation to understand how they approach naming and branding, et cetera. Mm. So a bunch I of different trends we think about. <laughs> yeah. I found that very uh, interesting looking at my kids, which are, even though I have four, they're not statistically representative of all kids, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, I find it very, like they, they do things and I'm like, they're so different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Like um, my eldest, when he goes buying things, the amount of reading, like he would even get his phone and Google like bad brands. If it's not a name that he knows before, oh. before, and, and it's not even about the, the, the look of uh, obviously I guess that's what catches his attention. Like if you're buying clothing, you know, but it, it's, it's what that brand stands for. What's like their history, who's the CEO. And on the other side, uh, I think we were walking around in a, a commercial center once. And I was like, Oh, look, those things look good. And they looked like something he would buy. He was like, looks at it. And it's just like, that name, and I don't remember the name, and I don't want to insult the brand even if I did. Like, <laughs> that sounds like it's for old people. Yeah, and that was yeah. it. He That's wouldn't what even I'm walk into. Yeah. wouldn't even walk into the shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you're That's touching crazy. on a few things. I'm assuming they're kind of Gen Z or Gen Alpha, and and I think what we're starting to see with those the younger Gen Z and the older Gen Alphas is they're they've grown up in this digital world, which millennials did too, but they're grown up in the digital world where it's almost the post-truth, post-fact world where anything mm-hmm. can be said and could be taken as truth by anyone. So I think we're finding that they want to interact with brands that they do some digging on. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that's what you kind of commented on as who is the CEO maybe, but then also they're very civic oriented, right? They, they care about things that yeah. maybe the as society collapses around them. They care about supporting the things that are good. <laughs> um, and so you start to see these, these younger audiences do their background research on, are they sustainable or do they do good things? And are they, do they have any bad marks against them? And, or where do they source it? I mean, we're, I have some Gen Z and Gen Alpha nephews and nieces and yeah, we're starting, I'm starting to see them take interest in those things. So aside from the creative part of naming, I think you, as a brander, you have to start to take that into account is how do you communicate the the essence of what you do and what you care about? Cause it's mm-hmm. not just, this is a product. Here's what it does for you. It's also who we are as a company, what we care Absolutely. about. And, and that will, that matters a lot to these younger, this younger audience. Mm. And it absolutely has to be authentic. I don't think you can buy your way out of nope. anything nowadays. <laughs> yep. they, they will find out. <laughs> they, mm. They're very, I think they're those up with very, iPhones in their yeah. hand, right? <laughs> absolutely. There's a Victoria's Secret. I think they've rebranded recently. I don't know what it's even because, you know, they went off the like sexy, skinny girls into yep. the inclusive everything. And now they're going back to sexy. I think if I got it right. And it's it's like, what are you doing? So they're, 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 they're to your point that you just made. You have to be authentic. What is your rent? Mm-hmm. And, and you can stretch the limits uh, or kind of stretch your story into new directions. But directions that are believable. We actually, mm. <clears throat> uh, to touch on a little, an, another research product we have here at Siegel and Gale, it really helps as we're rebranding a company uh, from the strategic side of things, help us understand the company, 
and their competitive set and who is seen as a leader or where they're seen on a bunch of different attributes that matter in that industry. And then also what's believably, what's a believable shift for this brand we're trying to work mm. on. So we ask different questions to say, if this company did X or did Y differently, is that believable? And what we find is this kind of sweet spot of here are the here are the metrics you could change and are believable and authentic and true about your brand. And there's some you just can't claim. No one will believe it's from you. Mm. Even unfortunately, if it is real, <laughs> there are just some things that customers <laughs> won't believe, but also some things that just aren't true. Um, so it is the, the, the research study really is about identifying things that can help you authentically be shift your brand um, in a way that I think, you know, we were just talking about is believable and, and, and received well by customers. If you do decide to kind of evolve your brand. Mm. Authentically shift your brand. I think that's a, that's a great way to say it. <laughs> Last question. I sure. think um, you mentioned from the beginning that we actually got into naming because it's, it's creative and the, the whole process you described is creative. And we were talking about how, um, like, I mean, just you say 300 names, like there's, there's so much creativity that has to uh, go into coming up with all of that. And then at the same time, throughout our conversation, you refer to a lot of research that you do. And I think that's what, um, picked sort of my attention when I was looking at Siegel and Gail's website. And that, that's what I feel makes it different from a lot of other, um, brand strategy, companies that I've um, discussed with and I've worked with uh, on, on various projects is that like you have a huge amount of research and data. Yeah. So how do those two, usually people feel like, you know, research and data is not creative and then, you know, naming yeah. in your case creative. How, do, how does that match? It's a, it's a great question. And, and you're right, Siegel and Gail takes a fact-based approach to branding. Um, so we want to, the, the research can be used, we do use it in a couple of ways. There's research we can do at the start of a project to better understand, like I was talking about, the the competitive field or uh, what's what's potentially possible for your brand, what your customers are needing or wanting from, from a company like you, um, so that we are helping build a brand that addresses that while still being true to what your brand is actually going to do. But often brands come to us for a rebrand when they're shifting the way they operationalize or what they offer and what they do. Um, so that's the research that we can do to help um, discover ideas and themes. And uh, so that feeds into the creative process, right? What we learn gives us insights to themes we can explore for the name, things that matter, things that will be differentiated. And then, <clears throat> then, then we do our creative magic. Right. And I'm not saying that there's no strategy involved. Obviously, we've just done a bunch of strategic research. But then my philosophy is that creative naming uh, is all about letting your brain and minds of the team run free and find new connections, build new connections of words and see what a word could become. Um, you know, Twitter is some interesting metaphor about little birds tweeting and making a little noise, but that can be such a perfect metaphor and almost a re-encapsulation or redefinition of the word as it becomes about short form blogging, right? Which is what our mm. original was. So it's, it's finding those, it, that's the creative part. That's the art part. Then we can use research again to determine, all right, we've created, we've narrowed it down to 10 words that are really artistic ways of expressing these themes that we found potentially in the original research or in the kickoff or in our competitive audit. Here's 10 words. 
that that we think really do this in an artistic way. But let's go find out if your customers see that same potential in those words mm. or your audiences. And that's where that research serves again. So we're using research to inspire and then validate at the end. Mm. Um, so it is a nice mix of strategy and creative to make sure that we are not just choosing a cool, wacky, interesting word and hoping it works, right? Hoping mm. your audiences get it. Um, so I think that's how I see the research and the strategy working together with the creative that we do. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the beauty of name. So so in the past, I have worked at naming only firms. And in the last 15 years, I've worked at naming, uh, leading a naming team within a branding agency. And I've loved doing both. I, what I find so fun and unique uh, at running a naming team within a branding agency is you have all of these different disciplines coming together to inform mm. each other, to inspire each other. So as the research team does their work and that inspires the brand strategy folks who then I'm usually sitting in in those meetings and learning and seeing where they're going about how they might position this company in a different way uh, or a new way if it's a new company. And then that feeds into the brand communications, the story, the brand story they tell. That's giving me a lot of ideas for the creative name I can create. Our visual identity, you know, lead, he's starting to see how that, you know, can also help him explore new ways that aren't just repeating the same message, but building as part of the full message. And then finally, we have, you know, digital experience uh, and activation and uh, employee engagement. So helping the brand come to life for employees. So we have all of these things, all of these different disciplines for branding that work together to really create mm. a holistic brand. Um, and I think that's what I've loved so much about working at a branding company, a branding agency, is it's the strategy and the, and the research and the design and the, and the naming and the creative parts all come together uh, to work harmoniously, right? To create that mm. really powerful brand. Um, and so it is a mixture. I just tend to think the actual name creation part tends to be a little more artistic and creative than strategic, but not exclusive of strategy, <laughs> just um, a little more artistic in the development of the, the actual words. Mm. And which is why not everyone can do it. Like, uh, I, I will think say, people, yeah. <laughs> I was on that note, I think great name ideas can come from anywhere. I had one project, uh, the founder texted me at 10 at night one night and said, what about this? And it was such a cool word. We put it in the <laughs> process and it ended up being the runner up. Like we had it was between that and another name. The other name got selected, but it's the broad exploration that the letting your mind go free and then finding things that are trademark available, legally available, pronounceable in other languages, et cetera. That's where I think it really gets hard if you're just, you know, mm. a single person trying to figure out how to name your company. Great. Well, that's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure it's going to be very insightful for our audience. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.